Hello and welcome to TF1. Um, I am Tina Ferreira, your host, friend, advisor and the medium tyre that protects your Mercedes F1 car for 66 laps against the brutal Monaco track that is the world of Formula 1. So after that very contrived metaphor, let's ask about the Monaco Grand Prix. What do we think? Um, Niki Lauda was uh, obviously at the forefront of everyone's minds and what a big loss to Formula 1 that is. My thoughts are with his friends and family. So as per usual in Monaco, uh, qualifying set the scene. So I guess it's best for us to start there and just discuss quickly what happened. Now in terms of Mercedes, um, well done again, I guess, for Mercedes getting another 1-2 in qualifying. They had the, the car that was the class of the field. Um, Hamilton sort of struggled the the whole day through practice three and qualifying, which was interesting to me, especially after he performed so well during practice one and two on Thursday. But he mentioned that for some reason the, the whole balance of the car changed uh, between you know those practices. So it's sort of interesting to see how he ended up struggling quite a lot during the whole of Saturday. Um, I feel personally that he showed his character and his metal to pull out that final lap in qualifying to get himself pole position over Bottas who is probably you know the odds on favorite to to snatch pole there but yeah I feel that's why Hamilton is the champion that he is personally um a few people uh, uh on Facebook actually commented on one of my posts and said no but I mean Hamilton beating Bottas doesn't really make him a world champion necessarily but I personally feel that just the fact that you struggled the whole day and that you're definitely not at your best at that moment in time and still having the goods and the mental fortitude to pull out a lap out of nowhere and snatch a pole position like that. I feel that's something that's, that separates the, the good drivers from the great drivers. And I feel that is an example, and I guess we'll talk about it a bit more later, of why Hamilton is one of the, the all-time great drivers. Um, I mean, Valtteri Bottas thought he had it. I think he was pretty confident after that first lap that Hamilton wasn't going to beat him. And I feel the fact that Hamilton did really has led to a slight shift in, in the dynamic between the two drivers. I think with Hamilton's win in Spain two weeks ago and now with getting the pole position uh, over Bottas uh, in Monaco, I think it's just sort of shifted the momentum in Hamilton's favor again. And then obviously now with Hamilton going to one of his favorite tracks next uh, in Canada and Montreal. I do suspect that we're going to start seeing Hamilton asserting his authority over Bottas and it's now up to Valtteri Bottas to actually come back and, you know, fight back and put in those, those incredible quality laps and put in those race performances that we've sort of seen him do over the year. But yeah, he's going to have to maintain this over the, the whole, the whole remaining part of the season. So yeah, good luck to him. And I, I do hope we, we see a tight battle uh, throughout the whole season. And I think it's probably the, the only battle we, we're going to see for, for the championship uh, during this season because, I mean, that Mercedes car is unbelievably fast. I just, yeah, just thinking about how they used to struggle at Monaco, even last year and especially the 2016-2017, being half a second ahead of Red Bull and almost uh, 0.8 seconds ahead of Ferrari over one lap is an unbelievable gap, especially at Monaco where the track is very short. So, I mean, I just don't understand how how they were able to really improve their performance in, in the slow corners, especially given that their car concept, they, they essentially have a much longer car than what Red Bull and Ferrari has, a longer wheelbase. So, in other words, it's harder 
to rotate the car in slower sort of tighter corners which is basically all that monaco has so them having such a big advantage people think um on some you know uh, on social media and they've some some video footage came out where people think that they have some trick suspension where they have they figured something out with their with with their front suspension and that's sort of leading to this massive advantage that they have but yeah to be honest it's only rumors at the moment so yeah once we all figure out what is what they have in that car that's giving them this advantage it's going to be super fascinating to understand how they figured that out yeah and as i've mentioned it's probably now going to be a two-horse race between i mean the two mercedes drivers uh, except if i guess red bull or ferrari can pull out a massive rabbit out of out of some hat Ferrari might have a chance in Montreal with those incredibly long straights, but then at the same time, there are some very slow corners there as well. So it's probably going to be like a, a China situation where even with the massively long straight, I mean, Mercedes' traction out of the slow corners is probably going to win them back the time that they lose on the straights themselves. But yeah, going to be interesting to see how that shapes up. Um, Red Bull, in terms of qualifying, I mean, Mercedes, they were too fast. As simple as that. I think Red Bull will be disappointed. They used to own this Monaco track over the, you know, especially over the previous three, four years where their high downfalls, high rake sort of car design really worked well in these streets. But um, yeah, so I think they would have liked to do better. Mr. Stappen, I guess, did well to outqualify Ferrari, but it was sort of expected as well. Pierre Gasly still needs to find some pace. He was closer to Verstappen, but still not where he needs to be, especially with the two Toro Rosso drivers doing so well. He's going to have to, and I say this, I guess, after every after every race, but yeah, I mean, you can sort of start making, you, you, you could have sort of made excuses for him for the first few races where he was still finding his feet with the team, but now he's, have, he's going to have to really st to start putting in some big performances. But yeah, I guess we'll talk about that a bit more during the race, when we talk about the race, I guess. Now I need to take a deep breath because we're going to have to talk about Ferrari. And then we're going to have to ask them uh, ourselves is what the hell are they doing? What, what are Ferrari doing to, they basically look like clowns every single race. It's like, you know, even, you know, with the lack of pace that, you know, teams like Williams and, and, and Alfa Romeo had during, during the race, at least like they aren't blundering on strategy literally around every corner. I mean, Obviously, Vettel made a mistake in free practice three that led to, you know, them going to have to prioritize fixing his car. And I think that sort of threw, you know, the whole team sort of out of sync and out of balance. But then, and then obviously that led to Vettel not putting in a very great first lap during qualifying, which uh, Q1, which then led to him having to go out again to, you know, make sure that he actually gets through to the second part of qualifying. But then for some reason, they just forgot about Charles Leclerc. And I don't understand. Like, it's it's embarrassing, to say the least, where Leclerc was so angry. Was so, I've never seen him that angry. And, and I mean, he should have been because he explicitly asked the team, I, do I need to go out again? Should I go out again? And then they sort of said, no, they think he should be fine. And then when he asked again later, they just ignored him because they were so absorbed with getting Vettel through that they literally forgot about the other driver or that's I guess my opinion anyway but I mean how do you even let that happen especially at a track like Monaco where qualifying is the thing at Monaco like you saw in the race you can't overtake at Monaco so you need to make sure that even if it compromises your race the day after 
you need to make damn well sure that you qualify as high as you can possibly qualify. So taking a risk like what they did with Leclerc makes literally no sense. And I feel the fact that they have these amazingly like high paid and uh, a highly respected strategist sitting in that team, what were they looking at? Are they just looking at the computer simulations and not looking out of the window? Are they not looking at the timing screens? Because I just don't understand how, you know, I was sitting at the television and you could see with six, seven minutes to go, Leclerc is going to have an issue. You could see it then already. So how did it take Ferrari six minutes? So with a minute before, you know, qualifying one was finished, I think then only they realized, oh, damn, actually, we're in deep trouble. So I just think what they're doing is absolutely shocking and they need to go and do some self-reflection or something or, you know, I don't know what, but so that something needs to change. And, you know, even despite not, you know, them, their car not turning out as fast as we all thought it was going to be, these strategic blunders, I don't even know if you can call it a blunder. Like, it's, if I feel using the word blunder is too, too respectful for, for what they actually ended up doing because they look like amateurs. But, I mean, these are the basics and they need to get the basics right. I mean, then before they even start worrying about catching Mercedes, they need to just make sure that they're in the position to start catching Mercedes because... Good grief. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm on a bit of a rant, but yeah, I was just, I couldn't understand. Like, it was completely baffling to me. In any case, let's quickly talk about the midfield for qualifying. Um, the interesting thing here, I guess, before, before we talk about the midfield is you can clearly see that there are some drivers that are like Monaco specialists or, you know, specialists with the sort of tight city tracks with the slow corners and the, the, the closed barriers where... You see some sometimes surprising differentiators between you know teammates themselves. Where I think drivers like Ricciardo, Daniel Ricciardo, who always goes well at Monaco, and Carlos Sainz, who has never been outqualified at Monaco, and the Toro Rosso drivers uh, Albon and Kvyat, both did or all of them did brilliantly in qualifying and really you know showed that they are quite handy around the Monaco track. And but I mean I feel the quality lap of the day goes probably to Kevin Magnussen who who drove a brilliant, brilliant qualifying lap to put him himself and his horse in fifth, you know, ahead of Pierre Gasly even. So, yeah, what a lap. Um, fast user. He, he, you know, he is a fast driver. I think, uh, you know, Kevin Magnussen does have a lot of raw speed. I think he is, however, a bit of a hothead, which I think is why he hasn't always had the results that, you know, he, he can have because... I mean, he, he just sometimes messes things up in the race where he's too aggressive or too defensive and then, you know, it leads to penalties and fights with the drivers. And yeah, but, you know, good for Kevin Magnussen really putting that horse where I guess it deserves to be with, with the type of car that they have. In terms of the midfield qualifying, the rest, very disappointing for Alfa Romeo, Williams and Racing Point with our best friend Lance Stroll once again not able to make it out of Q1. What a surprise. I have to say, I think between Lance Stroll and Ferrari, it's difficult to decide who is doing a worse job. And I mean, I don't know if that's an insult to Lance Stroll or to Ferrari, because good grief, they are, both of them are actually really not performing even close to the, to the level that they should be performing at. So yeah, qualifying was interesting. And, and as we've seen now, now that the race is finished, it really does mostly set the scene for what we would expect in the race, since it is quite frankly almost impossible to to overtake at this track and we saw it was a bit of a procession um but i might add that those last 20 laps uh of the race were some of the most nerve-wracking things that i've experienced in formula one i mean i was chewing all, off all of my nails and 
You know, just the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. Is Hamilton's tyres going to give up the ghost? Is Verstappen, you know, Verstappen is going to do a random late lunge that he ended up doing, but I guess good good for both of them that they didn't, you know, end up, you know, they didn't end up with a broken front wing or a puncture or something like that. But yeah, I, I, I do think that, I think the mindset that we need to go into uh, for a Monaco race is a bit different than what we would have to go into for one of the other races, where you're not going to get um, just cars overtaking each other left, right and center. It's just not going to happen. So then the strategy, the pit strategy, you know, changeable conditions, um, safety cars, things like that. Those are the type of things that are probably going to, to make the race interesting. And uh, as always, it has proved to be the case. I think we firstly, I guess, need to say congratulations to Lewis Hamilton. Making those tires last for 66 laps is really incredibly impressive. And I do think it was one of his best controlled drives. You know, obviously he went incredibly slowly for more than two thirds of the race, but, you know, just controlling the pace and knowing when to go quickly, knowing when to, you know, back off, keeping someone as aggressive as Verstappen behind him for all of that time, I feel was really, really impressive. And yeah, I guess I, I actually shared a photo of, of what his tires looked like at the end of the race on my Twitter account. You can go look at it there if you want. But yo, those tires were wrecked. And the fact that he made it with those tires is a testament really to how good of a driver he, he actually is and how controlled he actually can be in a Formula One car where, you know, in the past people always thought that, yeah, he's quick over one lap and you can, you know, put in a quick lap here, here and there, but he, he doesn't have the finesse or the, you know, the delicacy that someone like Jensen Button used to have with the tires and things like that. And I really do think, you know, that's not true anymore. I do think he is now such a good all-round driver and it, he's going to be difficult to beat this season still, I think. Um, Max Verstappen also did a very good drive. Um, I, I'd Red Bull spoil this race, to be honest. Red Bull spoil this race by being too enthusiastic in the pit stops, you know, releasing him unsafely. They were, you know, too eager to get in front of, of Valtteri Bottas and, you know, they basically consigned him to to being off the podium, which is, um, you know, unlucky for him. And to be honest, Red Bull, the Red Bull was lucky to get away with a five-second uh, time penalty. They could have gotten a 10-second or even a drive-through penalty that would have probably been a lot more severe. So... You know, lucky Red Bull and unlucky Max Verstappen. Valtteri Bottas, um, yeah, he's going to be disappointed, to be honest. He, I think, was still feeling good about himself before this Monaco race. I think he was thinking he's going to take it to Hamilton. He's going to assert himself. And then he sort of just faded away to what ended out ended up to be a third place. But it might as well have been a fourth place with Hamilton winning the race. So... Yeah, as I've mentioned uh, earlier, I think I think there's a bit of a momentum shift there between him and Hamilton, and it's going to be up to him to to get back at Montreal. But it's going to be tough because Hamilton loves that Montreal track, but actually it's one of Bottas's favorite tracks as well. So it's going to be super interesting interesting to see how those two match up. Um, in terms of Sebastian Vettel, you know, not really much to say. He did what he could. Simple as that. He didn't really do anything noteworthy. He didn't do anything incorrectly. The worst thing that he did this weekend was driving into, you know, the barriers in free practice three, which probably compromises qualifying a bit. But I don't think, you know, at the end it made such a big difference for him. Obviously, it made a massive difference for his teammate. But yeah, I mean, poor Charles Leclerc. He's rare. This Monaco race summed up just the way his whole weekend went, basically. 
he did pull two brilliant overtakes. You know, he, he did say at the end of qualifying the day before that he was going to push. He's going to take risks. He's going to have to, you know, really risk having an accident to, to sort of make his way through the field. And he did two excellent, he made two excellent passes um, to get past, I think, Rojan or, yeah, I, I can't even remember the drivers, but yeah, two excellent passes. And then unfortunately on the third one, he got a bit too greedy. Um, he hit the, the his inside rear tire uh, against the barrier and then he had a puncture. And I think there, after that puncture, I think Leclerc's youth and inexperience sort of showed a bit where he was obviously upset with the situation and then he, you know, put pedal to the metal to get back to the pits with his, 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 his flat tire. And then, you know, usually when you do get a flat tire, the drivers crawl around the track back to the, uh, the, track back to the pits because if you drive too quickly, the whole tire disintegrates around the rim. And then as basically what happened to the Clark today, that tire then damages the whole car, basically. The surrounding floor can damage the diffuser at the back and damage the rear wing. And that's exactly what happened because I think Leclerc didn't think and he just drove back to the pits as quickly as possible. But by that time, the tire damaged his car so much that, you know, it, 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 it couldn't continue. I mean, his, his car was beyond repair. And yeah, unfortunately... He's going, it seems that he has a curse at Monaco because, you know, he had reliability issues uh, when he was driving in Formula 2. He, his suspension broke last year uh, when he was at Sauber and now obviously this disaster of a weekend uh, at Ferrari. So, yeah, a shame. I hope next year goes a bit better for him. But he's going to have to leave Monaco licking his wounds. And to make matters worse, he's now actually starting to fall behind his teammate in the overall championship standings, which will not uh, please him and will also make his life I think a bit more difficult in the coming races where they're gonna Ferrari are gonna have to start prioritizing Vettel's needs over his even more than what they've already been doing so yeah not a good weekend for Mr. Leclerc at all. Speaking about people under pressure Pierre Gasly well he came fifth isn't that exciting he did I guess did well to drive up from eighth place to fifth place but he was never really in the conversation with the leaders which i feel is the biggest problem i mean if he was you know pushing bottas or pushing you know the people in front of him but he's just happy to sit there in his lonely fifth or sixth place and just cruise home which is not okay he's going to have to start getting bigger results and start outperforming the car or his teammates um, because he's still nowhere near the other five drivers and the Toro Rosso drivers are doing brilliantly well. And I guess that leads us to just a quick discussion around the midfield. I mean, what a brilliant drive by Carlos Sainz. He is personally, he's my driver of the day. He put the McLaren where it should not have been in both qualifying and in the race. Yeah, what a, what a top drive by Carlos Sainz. And, you know, I feel vindicated because I've been, you know, sort of talking it up since the beginning of the year. So, yeah. That's very exciting. Norris, Lando Norris was okay. I mean, just that. He was okay. Toro Rosso, as I just mentioned, Gasly needs to be getting worried because both Kvyat and Albon seem to be in a groove with that car. They're getting some really good points. They are doing an excellent job and I'm excited to see how, how those two will push each other forward, you know, for the rest of the season. It, it reminds me slightly of... Um, how Sainz and Verstappen used to push each other at Toro Rosso in 2015, which was also similar to what we're seeing now. And yeah, good for these two, good for these two. 
Um, well done by Daniel Ricciardo to get two points. Uh, he got slightly screwed up, uh, screwed over, I guess, by the strategy of his team, you know, pitting under the safety car and then all of the cars behind him overtaking him and then refusing to pit and then giving, given the fact that it's Monaco, you can't overtake. So Raikkonen basically cooked Ricciardo's goose. But, you know, he still raced and, you know, just pipped Grosjean for, for ninth place. So getting a nice and exciting two points there. Hulkenberg's race was basically compromised when Leclerc tried to overtake him. And, you know, he was just never the same car since. Good job by Haas. However, the strategy of pitting them early screwed them over. You know, similar to Ricardo. Lastly, a shocking result by uh, for Alfa Romeo and Racing Points. They were way off the pace. And to be honest, we did, just really didn't see a lot of them in the race. Yeah, I mean, it was super uninteresting. I thought Giovinazzi looked quite fast around Monaco. But yeah, I don't know. Giovinazzi, he still hasn't, you know, really impressed me. But let's see, maybe he comes out of his shell sooner rather than later. And then lastly, um, I think, you know, to save time, uh, please, anyone that's listening, go and listen to my comments uh, from the previous 10 episodes on Williams, since really there's no change to report there. Cool. I think that's um, my main thoughts on the race. I think we can then move on to my three um, weekly awards. The Pastor Maldonado Award for most dunderheaded uh, action of the race weekend will undoubtedly have to go to Ferrari. I think I might have to start calling this the Ferrari Award for most dunderheaded thing during the weekend since they they are just doing the most ridiculous things and I don't know how they I don't know how they as one of the top teams with so much money and resources how they manage to make the simplest of mistakes but I've already ranted about them so I'll calm down. Um, secondly, the Lewis Hamilton hashtag blessed award. Um, I think that can go to Sebastian Vettel for getting second place after Red Bull messed up uh, Max's pit stop. Because to be honest, third was probably the best Vettel could have hoped for with the car that he had available to him. And then lastly, the Nico Hülkenberg Podium Award for unluckiest driver. I think he needs to go to poor Max Verstappen, who really didn't put a foot wrong this whole weekend. But his team being too overeager cost him a podium place there by giving him a five second time penalty due to the unsafe release of his pit stop. So there you go. Uh, did you think the Monaco GP was exciting? Was it boring? I personally uh, think it was pretty amazing since you know at this track you really have no idea what you get, what's going to happen next. You saw how the almighty Mercedes made a mistake with Hamilton's tire strategy, and it you know it could have been really could have there could have been a very different outcome here if you know that tire didn't hold up the way that it did. Where if Verstappen could have won the race, Hamilton might not have finished well at all. So yeah, I, I agree, you know, you're never going to get an overtaking feast at Monaco, but I think, you know, just with the strategy and the, the high risk type of track that this is, can still lead to high drama and high tension as what I experienced, uh, especially over the last 20 laps where I had like heart palpitations throughout because I just literally didn't know what was going to happen. But then in any case, uh, this also leaves us with a range of questions. Will Leclerc start to rebel against his obviously incompetent team's decisions? Will Ferrari be better at Montreal? Will Ferrari strategist Inaki Rueda be taken to the Ferrari torture chambers in Marileno and be forced to watch a Williams race car going round and round at Monaco non-stop for a week? As always, much to ponder. So that's it for today. 
Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, please go and comment, rate, subscribe and argue. We are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, Overcast, basically any podcasting site that you can think of. We will probably be lurking on there, ready to entertain you. My velvety voice will be back to entertain you in a week's time when I discuss the second team that have dominated the sport, which will be Red Bull. But in the meantime, please follow me on Twitter for great banter, the handle there being at TF1Show, and now also on Instagram with the handle there being at the TF1Show uh, for my excellent memes and, you know, all-round hilarious banter. Um, I see you soon and talk to you later. Bye.